Want the reward? Do the damn work. Challenge yourself. Inspire change. Choice, not luck. What's happening, everybody? Todd Crandall from Ignite Euphoria with another awesome podcast today. I have one Jessica Golitska. Yeah. But we were thinking about changing your name to Stevenson. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know how that goes. <laughs> okay. So I know you were asking me like, well, what are the questions and all this stuff? So here's, I'll give you a hint. Here's the theme. And the theme of this is going to be, how does it feel to be in that seat? And then I'm going to ask you a different, a lot of different scenarios of how you got in that seat. So okay. the first one is, how do you feel sitting in that seat right now? Um, I feel accomplished, actually. Um, it's taken a lot of hard work um, mentally, physically, and emotionally to get to this seat today. And um, I actually remember first when I first got here watching other podcasts of um, other people that have successfully completed the program, um, example, Eric, and thinking that one day that I'd like to be able to have the opportunity to tell my story too. Good answer. <laughs> really good answer. <laughs> so let's start with this then. Um, we're going to do current first. Okay. You mentioned accomplished. Great, great answer. And then you mentioned physically, spiritually, emotionally, which goes into our balanced, holistic lifestyle, mm -hmm. right? So what are you currently doing that's made you feel accomplished on those levels? Um, well, keeping a daily routine, a very consistent daily routine, um, waking up at 4.30 in the morning, uh, taking a wonderful group of people to CrossFit every morning, working out, then being able to come in here and spend my day helping other people feel accomplished, um, being able to navigate through their sobriety and um, help them get on their feet and uh, be able to maintain sobriety outside of here. Um, I definitely try to eat well, uh, That and that helps me with mind-body and stay in balance too, and obviously with the physical stuff, you know. Um, and my, my spiritual side is, is a little bit different it, than it's out of the norm for sure. But, um, I try to, I try to maintain kindness. That's part of my spirituality. And I try to, um, to just kind of like to love and accept everybody for who they are. And, and that's part of, um, what I call my spirituality. It's not, it's not a God thing for me. Let's talk about this. What what is that then? What is your spiritual piece? And I'm I don't want you to get nervous about this because I no. I've said this a million times on these podcasts. I'm not godly versed. Mm -hmm. I, I I call him, I believe in the chief, good dude. You know, um, can't wait to ask him a lot of questions at some point. But I don't have that confidence in that field. I don't have the um, experience the knowledge or anything so when you said you're very spiritual that is one thing that we hear around here a lot mm -hmm. what is that like for you and what is it that you do in that um so i am i don't believe in god 
that's part of um that was part of when i when i came here i at at some point it was about maybe a month or two in um i kind of stripped myself of a lot of the knowledge that i've been fed and conditioned with and religion was one of them and it's not that i grew up religious and by any means um it was just kind of some stuff that i picked up or was instilled in me or you know for whatever way shape or form it happened but um and part of that was I used to pray and pray and pray for things to change in my life and or for situations to be different and coming here and having a clear mind and redirecting my focus on what was important in life. Um, I started figuring out praying for something was not getting getting me, you know, it wasn't coming to me that way. I had to put in the footwork myself. So having kind of that realization, I came to the conclusion that God isn't some being outside of me, it's in me, it's within me. So anything that I ever prayed for, if I got it, I was the one that put in the work for it. I was the one that took the initiative and took the steps to do what I needed to do to get whatever that was that I needed to accomplish. That's powerful. And this is not going in the direction I thought it would right off the bat, which makes it even more fun. Okay, so back to the um, the theme of how did you get in that seat? How did you get into that seat with respect to self-harming with drugs and alcohol? What What's the emotional, um, intellectual, maybe some of that godly stuff that led you to choose drugs and alcohol? How did you get into that seat as a former former substance user? So you're asking me basically why I started using? Is that what is we that can what you're do that? asking? Or just, yeah, like how did you end up in that seat? Is that, I don't like using the word client, but how did you come to us? Like what is the story behind you arriving at Racing for Recovery? Um, I'm going to make it short and sweet, I guess, because it, it could be a very long story. Um, I, I, I've struggled with self-esteem issues since I was a young child. Um, I mean, as far back as I can remember, kindergarten kind of age, five, six years old kind of age. Um, so when I got inter- introduced, so to speak, to um, alcohol and drugs at my, in my early teen, preteen, early teen stage, I found that I felt I, I had confidence in myself. Mm-hmm. I was more outgoing. So like it became something that I, it was my go-to in order to feel a part of or in the in crowd or being accepted or being able to what I thought was being myself, but inevitably it wasn't being myself. I was under the influence of something that was, you know, creating who I was at that moment. Um, Needless to say, getting into that stuff led me into the wrong crowd of people. Um, I found myself in relationships that were extremely toxic. They were um, very abusive, mentally, physically, um, sexually, financially abusive. Mm. Um, was mar- got married at a young age, had a couple kids at a very young age, right, like right out of high school. Um, those relationships, obviously, I got fell deeper into addiction, drinking and um, taking pills and, you know, that that kind of stuff. I don't like naming things. Um, and then I rolled right into another relationship that um, ended up being married again. And that was even more toxic in every way, shape and form too. stay at home mom kind of type thing and just 
uh, fell deeper into addiction. And then when that relationship ended, I really took a dive off because that's when, um, when that relationship ended, I lost everything to that divorce. My home, I had to send my kids away because I had four children by that time, being a single mom with four kids. And the, de- the state of depression that I was in, and um, I just didn't think there was any more hope anymore. So that's when um, I really fell into um, using the really dark, heavy drugs, as I, I call them. Um, and that obviously led me to a worse kind of crowd of people to be involved with. And I spent about six years give her well a little maybe a little bit more in what I called my rabbit hole and was living horrible dark days doing everything you can possibly think of under the sun to get my fix for the day or to feel better for the day um running streets homeless selling myself um stealing big borrowing stealing you know all all that all that great stuff that comes Mm -hmm. with that and um I got to a point it was a couple days before my 37th birthday. Um, I woke up one morning in, um, in you know, my dealer's home is where I was staying at at the time. So getting my fix for that day wasn't an issue. It was just I woke up and I was just tired. I was huh. completely sick and tired of where my life had led me to. It was just like I had this weird realization that like the people, the cars going by in the street outside that I was hearing or the people that were in the park across the street, like I would have given anything just to have their life at that moment. Like it didn't matter what their life consisted of. It was going to be better than what I was doing at that time. So it was either I was planning on ending my life or I was changing my life. Like I had to really sit and decipher what my decision, what what I was going to do that day. And I made a call to um, the local detox center and set up an appointment with them. And the next day, I, they didn't actually take me actually, they ended up not taking me because I didn't have insurance. So I checked myself into our local hospital to the psych unit because I became, I was suicidal for sure at that point. They were, they didn't want to take me because they knew what I was supposed to be doing and where I was supposed to be going. And they're like, you're just trying to use this. I'm like, no, I'm going to tell you right now. If I walk out of these doors, if you let me leave, it's not going to, it's going to end for me altogether. So. I never heard that last piece before of your, of your story. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned right off the bat, you said low self-esteem led to all those choices that led to more heartache and all that. Do you... I have two questions in this. First of all, and it's an easy one. Do you think if you had self-esteem, this wouldn't have even started? It's possible. Okay. Do you really, and you don't have to talk in great detail about this, but can you maybe let people who are watching this know what led to having a low self-esteem? I'm really, I'm, I'm really not sure, like, where it came from i don't know if it was just like my brain being wired different Hmm. you know like i don't i don't know because i was i was at such a young age i found myself comparing my image to other girls you know even my little sister you know like she was 18 months younger than me um she she was the baby of the family i mean Hmm. i think that and she was this little tiny petite thing and I was I, I felt built a little bit bigger and thicker and 
I don't know, like that, and that's just what I, that's what I remember. That's, you know, what, what my memories of being that age and like seeing some of the other little girls at school, like comparing my hair to theirs or, you know, my clothes to theirs or, you know what I mean? Like I just, I, I remember doing that like as far back as I can remember, you know? So, um, and just, I, and I don't know for whatever reason, I just never felt a part of, like, I always felt like I was just, I was the third wheel or I was, I was part of a friendship, but I was this one on the outside, not quite fully engaged all the time. So, um, and like I said, when I drank, I became the life of the party, you know, and, um, and getting, getting into, you know, smoking weed and then I became the supplier of it. So then I was needed and people wanted me around and, you know what I mean? So, um, that, that's where it kind of changed for me. And when I seen that, that shift, that's what I wanted. That's what I was, I was able to fill that hole at that time. What do you think the first example of building self-esteem was for you? I'll give you a hint. You kind of already said it, but I just want you to re-say it. <laughs> I don't like when you do that. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. You already said it. I'm like, wait, what did I say? <laughs> well, think of that. Like, cause at Racing for Recovery and as clinicians that I'm fortunate enough to work with here, and there's 18 of us now, the foundation of people that choose drugs and alcohol, as you said, is no self-esteem. So if then that logically would mean that the foundation of building sobriety would be having self-esteem. So what do you think was your first act of starting to build the self-esteem that you have created today? Okay. Well, there's, there's two answers for that for me. There's the first thought that got it started for me and then the first act the first the first change in mindset and my thought process was when I came here and you guys you guys had told us that using drugs was a choice Mm -hmm. because obviously I had became very dependent on it and was instilled for many years going in and out of other rooms that it that this is something it was a disease and it was this was something that I was going to live with and um so I always thought that th- this was something I was going to have to live with. I was cursed with for the rest of my life. But when I came here, I was taught that this was a choice and I don't ever have to use again. That was such an empowering moment for me. And knowing that I I can take my life back. Mm-hmm. I have I have the power to make that choice. That was a huge turning point for me, first of all. And then secondly, when when I started getting my body moving and um, getting involved with um, with just like physical activities, like doing the Pilates with Skylar, which that was a little bit further into my sobriety. But, um, when I started doing that, I felt phenomenal, which that in turn sparked me changing the way that I ate, because why would I want to eat like crap if I'm trying to change my body and, and feel better with working out, eating has to accent that to me, you know, for me. So then I started changing that. Well, when I eat a good meal and a healthy meal, I feel good about myself. So, and when I feel good about myself, there goes my self-esteem, you know? So. Awesome. Are you reading like script notes off of this? Cause you're like the poster child of everything Shut we up. do. <laughs> um, That's okay. why I'm sitting here. <laughs> right. Well, and it's, this is all going into what I want to talk with you about today. So I do want to do this. You had mentioned going to other places and they talk about, well, I have a disease. I, I, and you said, I thought I was cursed with this for life. Mm-hmm. 
what was that mindset like when you're basically feeling, you know, I have this incurable disease and I'm cursed for life. Was there any hope that it would change? Oh, there was none. Like it was, and it was so easy when something bad happened in my life to revert right back to using again. Like I always had these little stints of like, you know, being, I can't even say I was clean because I was, I was always still doing something else, but like I wasn't using heavy drugs. Like, um, but I always, to me, I always had that excuse like, oh, well, this is a part of it. This is, and this is the way society views it. So it's okay if I keep falling down as long as I get back up. But then at the end of the day, like I'm, this is what my, this is what my new normal is going to be like, this is, or this is what my normal is going to be, you know, like, so how many times am I going to have to fall down and get back up? And you know what I mean? Like it was, it was just like, this is what my life cycle is about to be. So yeah, basically I'm, I'm cursed with this groundhog day of addiction. And that's supposed to be the definition of sobriety. Yeah, no. And here's <laughs> where, and when I, I am going to use the R word uh, when people say, well, relapse is part of recovery. So I haven't met your parents but when I hear that relapse is a part of recovery and knowing how many times you went back, chose to go back and do this stuff, if I told your parents and you coming into treatment that, oh, yeah, this is all part of it, and what happens, God forbid, if you died from that? And then your parents call me and say, you told our family that relapse was a part of recovery and our daughter is dead now. There is no way that's going to be on our sho- my shoulders, no. our program, yeah. no way. And that's why we believe in the cognizant choice of being made in this, which obviously that's what turned it around for you. Absolutely. So anything else you want to talk about with the negative stuff of addiction? I think you got it, right? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I keep going back to how you, you introed yourself and feeling accomplished. Talk about your mindset then when you come into racing for recovery. You did mention the power of choice. Give people an understanding of really what what it was like in those early days to come into something different. So coming here, um, my initial phone call with Dan when I when I called him from um, the hospital while I was uh, detoxing, um, just I, I've always I've always taken interest in taking care of my body. I've always had, you know, had interest in like, you know, having, being mindful and spiritual and meditation and yoga, like, um, and, and just like overall, like just being happy, you know what I mean? And like, and, and when Dan like described like what, what you guys did and, and being balanced, holistic, you know, all that great stuff, um, sparked my interest. I'm like, that's me. This is, this is where I need to go. Like, this is the first time I've ever heard of anything like this. I've got to try this. So then when I got here and, you know, like, you know, being in, in this building and just like the energy that, that there was, like, I say that this, like this building vibrates positive energy and like the seeing the people people having smiles on their faces and laughing and having a good time it's like that's what I want I didn't know what it was like to belly laugh at that point Mm -hmm. like I didn't have a genuine smile in years before I came in here and like and seeing other people doing it like it was just like this this is where I need to be I just knew that this is where I needed to be and this this is where I was going to find it 
And I came in here and I sat down in these rooms and I listened because I wanted to learn how they got to feeling how they feel today. Because you, I wouldn't have guessed, some of the people, I would have never guessed that they actually were in addiction, that they had used drugs. And stuff. some people like, I'm like, there's no way, you know? So like for me to, to be able to sit here today and I can reflect that to others now that are coming in here, like it's a, it's a sense of accomplishment for me. This is awesome. In the, in our Cleveland book, we talk about creating a new normal. And you mentioned this before where you made a, I call them feeble attempts at getting off of that stuff, right? Where you're like, well, this must be what my new normal is going to be. I'm, I'm cursed with this. And it's like, that's not the new normal we're talking about. No, it's, it's <laughs> transitioning from the normalcy of what our choices have led us to with respect to being addicted and understanding how that occurred and then creating a new normal that brings everything you talk about. And by the way, I hope you laugh at some point because that cackle is hilarious. <laughs> I'm sure I know it'll I can come hear out. you when, when <laughs> Bailey was talking about it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> but that that's that's authentic, that genuine belly laugh. That's the stuff that is good around here. So all right. Now this is going the way I wanted it to. <laughs> I want to, I, there's two things in this, Jess, because they were such critical moments as me watching your, your awesome growth in this. Where do you think, even though you were sober at Racing for Recovery and things were improving, what is like the one area that you fell into of like, this is what I'm supposed to do and I need to go do this, that then you changed? What, what was that? Going back to work. Talk, I want you to talk about that. Okay. So um, obviously, like, I got to a point where I was comfortable in what I was doing because, I, I mean, I was working out. I was eating good. Um, I, I was vegetarian at the time, um, and I always loved fruits and vegetables, so that was a thing, whatever. Um, and, I, and I was going to all my groups, and I was, um, you know, involved with things that were going on around here. And I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm in a good place right mm -hmm. now. My mind was in a good place. Mm -hmm. I, my head was in a good place. I want to get back to work. It's mm -hmm. time to start getting back on my feet. I have kids. I have, I'm going to, and inevitably I have a life outside of here that I'm going to have to financially take care of also. And it's just part of integrating back into society. It was important to me. So I went back to work, which my field of work was factory work. So I got a job at, Dan helped me get a job at a factory where he um, knew a guy that had went through recovery also. And he he um, he liked to hire people that were in recovery to help, and it was to help them get on their feet. So it was a good atmosphere um, as far as, you know, the people I was surrounded with because a lot of the people that I worked with even um, were recovering addicts mm -hmm. and had some pretty good time under their belt even too. So like initially it was such a good thing. But as weeks progressed and months progressed and the monotony of working in a factory and like literally like no offense, but I worked in a place where they were they built casket liners and like it was kind of like I'm seeing this and I'm like, so am I going to do this? every day for the rest of my life and I one of those are going to be for me like this is what I'm going to do and this is my starting point and that's my end point I'm not doing this I'm not a machine I'm not a robot um 
there was there was just no love in what I was doing. I didn't love going there. I got to the point where I dreaded waking up every morning to go there. My exercise changed. It was basically none. Um, my eating habits were total. I don't want to say bad words, but they were crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was eating out of a vending machine every day, working twelve hour days. Um, my sleep was horrible. So. Next thing you know, like my 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 state of mind went straight downhill. What time? How long were you uh, sober at this time? Um, when I went back to work, I was like three months, maybe. Okay. And I worked there for just under six months. Um, so it was about eight months ish that um. I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I'm like, something's got to give. Like, I even, like, I had even hit a thought one night, like, some some bad stuff was going on in my life. I had lost my uncle. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, it was the holidays, which is, I always, the month of December mm-hmm. has got so many bad memories for me with so on so many different levels, besides the fact that I couldn't be with my all of my kids, I got to be with my older kids, but I couldn't be with my younger kids at the time. Like there was just a lot of stuff going on. And like, literally I contemplated using again. And I knew that that's not where I could, I couldn't go back there. Like I had made it so far for me to start having these thoughts of giving up. It just, it couldn't, it couldn't happen. So once again, something had to change for me. So this is, I love this. Um, Again, in our in our There's More Than One Way to Get to Cleveland book, we talk about the four big ideas. That, that's We're named one of our treatment rooms with that. The first one, obviously, is anybody can get off of drugs and alcohol, right? For sure. Big idea number two, you can achieve anything in sobriety. Our slogan, with sobriety, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. This is where, number three, where we're not immune to life's hardships. Now, I'm going back to the other modalities in this. How many times do you hear people say, such and such happened. My my uncle, my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer. My uncle died. Whatever. I relapsed. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Why racing for recovery is. I'm going to say it. It's a more effective approach to this because just because those things happen, they do not automatically mean I have to choose drugs to exactly. cope with them. Yep. And that's number four. I get hit with a life's hardship. What choice am I going to make to sustain what I have and mm-hmm. cope with this effectively? When people are talking about using effective coping skills, I'm like, well, this is where you need to apply them. Absolutely. So here, I'm getting back to the self-esteem thing here too. Where do you think that self-esteem kicked in again? And can you describe that scenario of when we were talking? I gave you a hint there, by the way. I, I, I yeah. know you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, I knew what was working for me before I started that job. Yep. So by me applying all of of what is was offered to me and what was suggested with, you know, moving my body and eating right and getting my mind right and, um, and, and being a part of mm-hmm. – um, I lost all that with that with working that job and the hours I was working in and that you know my mind changed. so I knew what I needed to get back to doing but like you and I sat down at one of our breakfasts and like 
I, I knew what I needed to do, but I just, I was very unsure of myself. And um, having that conversation with you, like you just told me, you were like, what are you going to do? Hmm. Basically was, was, was what it was. It was like, what are you going to do about it? Like, and I sat and I pondered that question for a minute. I'm like, I'm quitting this job. I knew financially it was not a great idea for me um, in so many different ways. And especially at that point in my recovery, because I, you know, I felt like I had, I was getting to a point where I needed to be financially stable so I can move on and move, and move forward um, in life, you know, with my kids and my family and whatnot. There were still a lot of financial obligations that I had to take care of. Um, but I needed to take care of my mind first because if I'm having those thoughts again and I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling, even physically, um, I had to go back to what I was doing. You know, I truly hope that people are really paying attention to what you're saying right now. And this, uh, we definitely will be going longer than our normal <laughs> thing with this because I have so much I want to talk to you about. So I'll do this first. Do you think... Had you not utilized Racing for Recovery for the first three months and went back to that job, that you'd still be sober today? Absolutely not. Okay. Good answer. I can say that confidently. Now, I, I know that if I wouldn't have been working this program before I started that job, I would have went right, I, no doubt in my mind, I probably would have went right back into it. I agree. And again, this is what I truly believe, and I did it in my own recovery, and I believe the same thing. It's I have to be doing things. Just stopping the drug addiction is not the mm -hmm. answer. It is a catalyst to get to the answers, but it's not the answer. And so many people, even their families, well, Johnny did 30 days in rehab. He needs to get back to work. And I'm like, for what? Where is he going? Right. What is he going to do? Right. And you're, here's another piece of this that I find interesting. I didn't really, that was the first conversation I had with you that on that breakfast and that was six months of you being here right eight, eight? wow because by the way how long have you been sober now um 19 months that's awesome um so think of that eight months and i really didn't even know you and i i feel badly about some of that but then on the other side of it is well it's because of what was going on and what stopped going on that i didn't have the pleasure of knowing you For the sure. way i know now so Here's another question in this, and it's it's um, it's going to be a difficult one for you. Um, but I know losing um, Tommy was a big deal to you, mm -hmm. and it's the same thing. I had the same conversation with him. I remember where I was standing when he talked about going back to work, and I said the same thing I say to everybody. You know, blah blah. blah. I asked these questions. Do you think that if he didn't go back to work that soon, that I mean? I possibly could be talking to him right now. I think it's it was a very good chance. Um, I know he struggled with a lot of mental yep. health issues, yep. which, but if he wouldn't have went back to work, maybe he would have worked on that a lot more. So yeah, the possibility of him still being here for sure. How how are you now utilizing that unfortunate tragedy? Let's just call it for what it is. How are you using that? as a positive, productive thing for your own wellness? Well, part, part and part of where our relationship, and I only have to go back to this for a second to make my point, part of how our, him and I, how our relationship started 
he was trying to save me. Yeah. When when we first got together, he was saving me from an, a super abusive relationship, a super abusive situation that had happened, physically abusive situation that had happened. He had saved me from that, and which became this, like, that was kind of like his role in my life and him getting me here, m- making sure, and it wasn't getting me here, it was making sure I stayed here. Mm-hmm. He stayed long enough to know that I was in, I, w- I had fallen enough into this that, he could leave me and go and go do his thing and, and, and get back to work. Um, there's some other realizations that I've had along the way of why he left too. Um, working was one of it, but it was to supply his habit. Yeah. He wanted to go back out and yeah. use, um, unfortunately. And um, so anyways, um, so I feel like his, his passing, his, his overdose, I would be, I would be shitting on him. Sorry if I would go back and use. I live for him today. As far as like because he can't because he wasn't able to. So like I use his his story to live and to help oh. others because um, the more that I've learned here <laughs> and in um, the education that I've gotten since I've been here. Um, the mental health stuff that I'm learning, um, I'm understanding more why that happened to him and, and how it happened. And um, I just had a realization the other day in one of our meetings that we just had um, with something that, that he, he used to use an excuse as to why he used. He, had, he, he may have had an extreme mental health issue that was never addressed. Mm-hmm. And like so like I think back like, what if he would have stayed long enough to figure that out? Like, you know, so um, I ha- I kind of had a rough day with that the other day. Um, and there's different little things that pop up. I see him and people here. And so I, I take pride in being able to help others hopefully not want to go back and end up that way. You know, I only knew him briefly, but I the, this, I, I call it this, the distinct conversations I had with him I I knew there was something else going on on there and it it honestly it was why he was choosing certain drugs you know because they kind of go hand in hand in this so I've never asked this question of to somebody before did you have or do you sometimes do you have any survivor's guilt that you made it and quote he didn't or do you look at that still with a ton of gratitude that he, I call it, he delivered you here and gave you an opportunity to save yourself? I have both. I definitely have both. Like, I definitely have a huge amount of gratitude. I know I know where his heart was at. Yeah. Um, I had um, a video chat with him 12 days before he died. Um and I don't, I don't want to get into all of that because that's a whole different um, conversation. But he, in that, in that conversation, he told me how proud of, how oh. proud of me he was, and that I made it. In his eyes, I made it. Um, and that, and that's out of addiction. I made it. I'm, I'm not. He, there was no doubt in his mind that I would go back. So there's that, and then there is guilt because, like, like. What if I would have done this? What if I would have done that? Maybe because our relationship was so on and off after he left, like that was something that I struggled with 
almost daily from the time that he left till the time of his death. So like along with all this other life's hardships that were going on, this was an on and off relationship and struggling with him using and him ghosting and me calling hospitals and jails to see if he was okay because I hadn't heard from him in days or a week. Um, so like, so there's always a, there's, there's, I always feel a little bit of guilt sometimes for that. And I, and I, maybe one day I can let go of that, but right now it's just a part of the grieving process. I feel like still with him. So let's talk about some more awesome stuff that you now are doing that's that's related to what I, the questions I just asked you. You are a licensed CDCA. Yes. And you now, I don't like saying it, you're a, an employee of Racing for Recovery, but you get a, you get paid to work, do I things here. I get paid right. to be here. Correct. So. Right. Which is awesome. <laughs> um, in that... Are you, because this is a, a process of everybody that comes into this field, as you learn very quickly how to, I call it self-preserve. So are you now starting to really understand more of like we, you and we do our best to guide, educate, support, go come take this route, take this route, take this route. Mm -hmm. This is why we do this, blah, blah, blah. Same thing with Tommy that now you can look at it and go, I tried I did everything I could yeah. and then be able to still maintain that. Yes, this hurts. I know what I'm doing. Unfortunately, certain choices were made and I'm going to keep going. Can you talk about what that learning process has been like for you to deal with many other people in that same boat? Um, I Well, in coming here, I definitely have a newfound respect for what you guys do behind the scenes is what I call it. Um, and I completely understand why, um, why this place works the way it does. Um, and rephrase that for me because I feel like I could go a couple different ways with well, this. Well, it's more of like, so you were, you received services here for a long time. Yes. You worked your butt off to actually be able to be on our team of mm -hmm. working here, right? So the question really is, how has that transition enabled you to improve from healing from trauma, mm -hmm. let's call it, and also maintaining a sense of self as you continue to move forward, constantly working in this? So it's like, how do I guess, how do you effectively cope with maintaining wellness Okay. And still seeing people who don't 100% choose that wellness. Okay. So for me maintaining my mental health, um, rewind just a tad, COVID last, last, this time last year, shutting everything down gave me the opportunity to really dissect my mind. So I spent a lot of time alone and journaling and self-reflection and figuring out how my mind works and why it works the way it does. Um, because I have, I understand my thought process and the, and the way that m my emotions work and how I react to them and, um, and how to, I, I want to say control them, but it's, it's hard to say control them because it's hard to control your emotions. It's controlling the action that mm -hmm. comes with the emotions. Mm -hmm. So because I spent so much time, um, getting my mind right while we had that downtime, taking advantage of that and staying consistent with 
with what I did in my everyday life, staying consistent with moving my body. And I feel like a broken record sometimes when I say it, but it's so important to Mm -hmm. me because I've been down a few days with not being able to work out with my sciatic nerve and old injury. Mm -hmm. And it, it messes with me not being able to keep that routine for a couple days. And I cannot wait till I can go right back at it, which starting back up tomorrow with yoga, but Monday back into CrossFit. Anyways, um, so being able to stay consistent um, and understanding my feelings and and knowing and learning about the grieving process, learning to just deal, this is life, period, point blank. Stuff's going to happen. People are going to die. Um, relationships are going to end. You know, things are going to happen, you know, so... It's just what I what am I gonna do with it? Am I gonna sit and sulk in it? Am I gonna use over it? No. Sometimes I might have to sit with it for a little mm-hmm. while and feel it, but then I gotta get up, dust myself off, and move on and keep doing what I'm doing. Does it come back? Yes. Do I have bad days? Of course I do. Not day. I shouldn't say bad days. I have bad moments. I don't have bad days anymore. I don't wake up and like, fuck this day. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but I don't wake up feeling like that anymore. I wake up and it's a good day. Things are going to happen. I understand. And it's just how I how I deal with them. So now with being able to, to see other people going through this, I try to use my experiences and, and help them see that it's not the end of the world. Like, yeah, sometimes little things feel like big things because we're not used to dealing with a lot of these little things sometimes. Or, you know, like if I, it's kind of like that mentality, if I can do it, you can do it kind of type thing. And I feel like in, in, I just, I just see a reflection of me and the people in here. So I try to be a good example and I try to, be able to use my story to help them with what they're going through. Cause I, I feel like when I came in here, knowing that other people here have been through it, made it easier for me to follow in their footsteps also, so to speak, follow in their footsteps. I can tell I'm like <laughs> smiling right now. It's like, I just sit and listen to this and I'm like, that's what racing for recovery does. So you, again, when you said I I'm accomplished when you first started this today and I'm like that was awesome to say (laughs) what has it been like working here on with just building that self-esteem what what's it like to be a part of this that knowing you have a a life here now you're not building caskets or coffins anymore for sure you have a, a career a purpose what's it like to be a part of the staff at Racing for Recovery I love this like um, when you say that when you pursue your passion, mm-hmm. like it's not your and and it becomes a career, it's not a job. I don't see this as a job. I don't call this place work. Um, and and not, and now I'm on the complete other side. I'm not building caskets for people, dead bodies to go in. Now I'm helping people live, like see that you have the opportunity to live again. Um, so like it's a it's total opposite, you know, what I was doing before. And I didn't really, I obviously didn't have this in mind as a career. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to help people. And I've always taken interest in like how the mind works and and why people do what they do and how they function. Um, So it was kind of hand in hand. And then like seeing what, where I came, how far I came and how it's helped me. Like it was like, 
why not do this? Like, mm-hmm. why why not help other people? Do like I want people to have what I have. I want people to feel like what I feel. You know, so like if I can help somebody do that, I'm all for it. You know, talk about the process of, and I love this word, endure. You had to endure a lot of hardships and struggles getting here. And it's the same thing Eric did and um, Dustin did. You know, you know, I'm ready to go. When can I start? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> and then dealing with that. How? Talk about how that process of uh, when you thought you were ready, but it didn't happen when you were ready. What was that like? I was not happy. Like, it was like giving me, like showing me you had a sucker and then taking it away, you know, like, or like, not yet, not taking it, not yet. You can't have it yet, but it's here. Um, It was kind of like a a little bit of a tease, but, um, and I had moments where I was um, not, I was being impatient is what it was. So I definitely had to, it was a learning process and patience for me, inevitably, you know, like um, I knew I had to sit down and it wasn't my time yet. Uh, And so for me, it was like, now what can I do in this time of waiting and waiting for this moment to happen? How can I make the best of my time? What can I do to improve who I am for when the opportunity finally arrives makes me a better person and makes me more qualified for that job? So um, I volunteered my time in any way that I could here, facilitating meetings, which I had been doing for a while anyways, but more like really diving into that, you know, um, putting more into that um, and being a lot more involved, you know, with anything and everything that's going on around here. So it, it was it was it was trying to volunteer who I was in any way, shape or form that I could in, in that time frame. Um, I don't like, it still like was kind of like, when am I going to start? When can I do this? You know what I mean? Like I still had it in, but I was able to still be a part of. So it wasn't like I was doing my own thing outside of here and wasn't able to be a part. I still was, was able to, to be in this, you know, fully submerged so so i want to go back to one something we were talking about before the money factor yes so all this time how did the how did having some money and the lack of money did that really change anything that has resulted in where you are today no no not a bit not a bit has nothing to do it has nothing to do with i'm glad that you said that because like when I when I'm hearing now people I want to go to work I need money I need to do I'm like you know that I've spent eight months of my time not having a job or having money and I still made I still got through it I there was there were still other opportunities in order to make things happen or you know like there's still ways around being able to live and and be here and navigate through your recovery without having a job and I, I, I know I need to say this because there's going to be somebody watching this right now that unfortunately will say, well, Racing for Recovery is telling people not to work. It's not what we're saying. It's not what I'm saying. No. It's not what I'm saying. I'm no. saying take your time Correct. and make sure that you're ready to do that. Yeah. That's all. And maybe it's less time for other people or sure. it's more time for other people because that's different. all individualized for sure. Yeah. If, if work was the answer to this, people that had jobs prior to coming here, they would have cured their addiction and with it. It's not. I didn't work because you told me not to. 
I did it because I knew what I needed to do. And I was also doing schoolwork. I was going to school and I was doing other things like that. So it wasn't that I wasn't doing anything. I was educating myself so I could be better at what I get to do now. There you go. What, what does the future look like for you personally and here at Racing for Recovery? What do you want to do? Um, in my personal life, uh, my future is having my family back as a whole. For sure. Um, that That is a huge goal of mine. I would love to be able to have, I and I will, I don't not be able, I know at one, in one day I will have all four of my children under the same roof again, even though a couple of them are adults now. Um, to me, that doesn't matter. They're still my kids. And uh, as far as here, like, I just want to keep going, moving up. I want to, I want to keep furthering my education and being able to help people in bigger, broader aspects. Um, I, I would like to, to be able to be a therapist mm. and run groups and, um, and, and help people to the best I can, you know, so. Awesome. Yeah. So I asked, we covered, do you want to cover anything else that we didn't cover? You, I don't think you so. ran it. I feel like I feel like we've covered everything. <laughs> is there and I give I ask this every time to somebody, is there anything you want to ask me that we've never talked about? You know, from counseling or since we've been sitting here, any questions that have gone through your mind that you want to ask? On a lighter side, yeah. how was it sitting on that side and listening to me blubber over here all the time? <laughs> Good question. Um, and there's some there's some humor in it now. Yes, there is now. But there's also a lot, and this goes back to that question I asked you earlier about what's it like now when you're taking care of yourself to be able to turn empathetically yes. and look at others. That's what I was doing for you. It's like I, I'm doing the same thing then for you that you are now fortunate to do for others you listen with empathy when you're able to give education or experiences you do when you don't you find somebody that can and you're just there to do what you're privileged to do was it was it difficult um at times for me listening to some of the stuff you're going through yeah it's gut-wrenching but i always knew you could get to where you are and i'm I'm proud of you for doing that. I still, Jess, and I've said it to you a million times, that day that you came up to me and talked to me on the Friday morning, which we're recording this on a Friday, and you just asked me some questions during that breakfast. I, I remember telling you, this day is the one that's going to change your life. And I knew you couldn't really understand that, but you just followed it, and now I know you do understand it. Yeah. And I'm extremely... I'm proud of you. I'm uh, thankful that you you made it. I'm grateful you chose us to help you. I'm honored that you're doing what you're doing here. It's I can't think of any other good words to say. Those are the only <laughs> That's smart ones I know. That's enough. You're making me uncomfortable yeah. now. <laughs> but you've earned, you've earned it, and it goes back to what you said over here at the beginning of the thing. You have earned that seat, right? Absolutely. I would definitely worked hard to, to be sitting here. Yeah, you did. Blood, sweat, and tears definitely came into this right here today. So, Miss Stevenson, I appreciate you coming <laughs> on today. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, thanks for watching, everybody. Watch Jessica's full episode again. Share it, please. It'll help a lot of people. And until next time, check out more episodes of Ignite Euphoria on the Racing for Recovery YouTube page.
we'll see you soon. Bye.